Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, September 11, 2013, and today we're reading from the big book. You're going to find us in Chapter 6, entitled Into Action, on page 76, the last paragraph on that page, beginning with, probably there are still some misgivings. And today's readers are Sharon, Michelle, Sally, and Fran. And the share ID number for yesterday's meeting, that's Tuesday, September 10th, 5119. 5119. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting to our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Eileen G. to read the 12 steps. Eileen, press star 1 to unmute. Good morning, everyone. This is Eileen from Massachusetts, and these are the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters 
and to practice these principles in all our affairs past. Thank you, Eileen. I will now call on Philomena to read the 12 traditions. Hi, my name is Philomena, grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. Thank you, God. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overreader who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinions on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in Chapter 6, Into Action, on page 76, the bottom paragraph, beginning with, Probably there are still some misgivings. And I will ask Sharon to begin reading, please. Good morning, Leah. Thank you very much. This is Sharon. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Good morning to all. Probably there are still some misgivings. As we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, we may feel diffident about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. 
Let us be reassured. To some people, we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature of our first, on our first approach. We might prejudice them. At the moment, we are trying to put our lives in order, but this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. It is seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we have gone religious. In the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bores? We may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message. But our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. He is going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discoveries. Great, great paragraph. Lots of, lots of material here. I'd like to start first with uh, pointing out a couple of words and giving definitions, first the word misgivings means feelings of doubt or anxiety about what might happen. So we're, we're going to these people, most of us, when we start this process, have some misgivings. We're, we're a little nervous about approaching people. And then the next word that I'd like to define for us is diffident which means modest or shy because of lack of self-confidence. And so we may have some misgivings, but Bill says, and Bill says we may feel diffident about going to see some of them, some people on a spiritual basis. So here again, the big book is, uh, is a textbook. It's showing us how to, how to get recovery. And this is part of the process. And we are reminded in the previous paragraph that we are willing to go to any lengths. And this is part of it. And it's one of the most frightening ones for many of us. But how do we do this? We are told to go to a person and explain. We're explaining why we're there, first of all. And Bill is telling us, that be careful of what explanation we use. We don't have to go into too much detail. Excuse me. And we don't have to emphasize the spiritual nature because they may look at us and, and they may be, it may bring up uh, other issues and concerns. So how we approach a person, we have to think about that very carefully. And that's why I was taught when I was doing my ninth step, before I went to a person, to go over it with my sponsor. So I would never just jump out and do it. Now, I have to say that before I got the recovery that I have now, I was in OA for about 10 years. And I was working the program pretty much on my own. And I had read the ninth step, and I knew that we had to make amends. And, and I would make amends to people, 
usually and many times I was making amends to my mother over and over again because she was constantly doing things that stirred me up and I would get angry and I would say something reacting to her and then I would apologize profusely because I that's what I thought the program had taught me to do however I hadn't really been changed on the inside. So what I learned about making amends is that this very last sentence here on this paragraph on page 77, a demonstration of goodwill is that he it's I'll read the whole sentence. He is going to be more interested in a demonstration a demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discoveries. So by the time we get to this step, by the time we are going to people to make amends, there should be a change in us. We should not be the same people that we were when we started this process. There should be the beginnings of a, of a transformation. We should be if not transformed, in the process of being transformed. We don't want to make promises. We want to be able to demonstrate who we are and, and, and the changes that been, have been made in us. I, the other sentence that I'd like to point out is, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. So this is not just an exercise that we're going, we're not going to grovel. We're not going to uh, just point out all the wrongs that we've done. We're not going to make promises. We're going to clean up our lives to make right the wrongs that we have done, if at all possible. And, But our, and our real purpose, our real purpose, we want to keep this in mind, is to fit ourselves to be of maximum usefulness. This is what my life is all about now, today, being of maximum usefulness. How can I be um, of service to God and to the people around me? It's through this attitude that I'm being transformed. It is for this that I'm being transformed. It's what the 12 steps are all about. Uh, I used to live for me, doing it my way. Now I have accepted a higher power, and I'm looking for that will. What is my higher power's will for me? I'm cleaning up my life and the actions that I have uh, lived by so that now I can live anew. I can live differently and be differently in the world and be accepted in that newness. And this is what this process is doing for me. And this, I love this sentence. And and for me, this is like my theme sentence. My purpose is to be fit, is to fit, of going through these 12 steps, is to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and the people about me. And uh, this is a great purpose. This is a reason to get up in the morning. 
Thank you. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Katie. Katie, go ahead. Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, He's going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discoveries. So, you know, we want to share what's happened, but we don't need to go into all the details. Um, You know, we don't need to justify and explain and uh, go, you know, go over and over again. If you owe someone money... um, you know, they don't want to hear what you're going to do. They want to they wanna see the cash. You know, if you owe someone a large amount of money and you can only make payments, give them that first payment. Don't, you know, just talk about what you're going to do down the road because your credibility has not been very good. You know, I, uh, we, I have learned that we don't have to say that much. Um, it's the, our actions, our attitudes that have to change and are actually doing what we say we're going to do. Because I was full of promises. Um, you know, tomorrow I'm going to do better, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And, of course, tomorrow never came. It has to be in what we're actually doing in our lives. And, you know, as Sharon said, you know, we don't want to just keep say apologize and then keep acting the same way we've always acted. You know, and so much of um of this has been not doing um is doing nothing and that is very difficult for someone like me to not respond, to not tell you what I think, to not get in the last word. That is the change in my life today is that when someone says something that is hurtful or ridiculous or I've got something to say about it, I say nothing or I say, okay, and, um, you know, this is what they're talking about. Uh, We, um, our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. Uh, We have to take action. We can't just, you know, continue to just write and write and write and speculate and plan. We have to actually do something. That's why this chapter is called Into Action. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula, may I share? Of course, Paula, go ahead. Thank you, Liam. Thank you for your service again. This part, at the moment... See, I was never at the moment. I was either in the past or in the future. But no, at the moment, this is what we're doing. We're trying to put our lives in order because they were in disorder. But this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose, wow, there it is, a purpose, is to fit ourselves to be of the maximum service to God. Okay, I could handle this maximum. That means the greatest degree of quality, the greatest degree, no minimum. No, oh, I'll give you five minutes in the morning. Oh, God, now I'm getting really good. Ten minutes. No, it's 24 hours. But wait, it wasn't just in service to God. 
and the people about us. That's the pot. If I was of maximum service to God, I received from him the strength and the people about us. And then I want to scoot on to the bottom. But a man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire, as was said before. Sincere desire to set right the wrong. Oh, I'm sorry, would roll off my tongue. Oh, I'm sorry. But I would do it the next day. Would make a skeptic of anyone. My sorry meant nothing. But set right the wrong to come to that place. Then he's going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than in our talk. Oh, Lord, could I talk? Let me tell you why I did what I did. No, set right the wrong of spiritual discoveries. He doesn't want to hear it. He wants to see it. And he's not going to believe it until he sees it. And he may not. But you set the right the wrong. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Anyone else like to comment on this, this is, paragraph? This is Sally. <clears throat> May I share? Yes, Sally, go ahead. <clears throat> so, um, Oh, this is Sally Recovered, compulsive overeater in South Jersey. The bottom of the page, it says, To some people, we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. So here we see in the beginning of this paragraph that it's telling us, don't don't tell people, you know, don't go into... um, I, I think actually what they're saying here is not to even talk about ourselves because it's not about us. It's about them and what we did to them. We're, we're going there to right the harm, the hurt, um, to make the amends to them. And if we go to them, we have to be really clear about our motive for going to them. We want them to be clear about our motive. We don't have any ulterior motives that we're coming to share what's going on in my life and guess what's happened in my life. And I've had this incredibly vital spiritual experience. And that's not why we're there. And we, it's very, very clear here in this paragraph, in four lines down on the next page, 77, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. And we might think for a moment that to be of maximum service, that perhaps we would share, you know, the spiritual changes that are happening in our lives. But as it says here, um, in the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. I'm sorry, let me back up a little bit. It is seldom wise to approach an individual who's still smart from our injustice to him and announced that we have gone religious. What, why would they believe we've gone religious when they're still hurting over what we did to them or what we said to them or uh, just how we've treated them for, um, at some point? And um, this whole paragraph, what it says to me is about my motives. What are your motives, Sally, in going? Do you have any ulterior motives? I want to read page 27, which talks about the new set of conceptions and motives. It says here that we've had this vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are phenomena. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. 
ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once the guiding force of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. In fact, I have been trying to produce some such emotional arrangement within you. Page 27. And so the book talks quite a bit about our motives. And I think that this paragraph is very much training our our mind, our eyes, our hearts on the idea of don't go there with any ulterior motives that you are going to do this guy any good, that you're going to bring him any spiritual nugget of what God is doing in your heart and in your life. If he asks you, that would be one thing. But most likely, it's not a topic to come up. The topic that I always focused on in making my amends and that I had to be trained to focus on because I did not think like this, this is truly a new conception and a new motive for me, is that I'm not even asking anything of them. I'm not asking, will you forgive me? I'm not allowed to do that, apparently. That's what my sponsor taught me. Don't ask them for anything. Don't ask them to forgive you. You have no right to ask anything of them. Your goal is to come and to give to bring them whatever it is that's going to make the amends, whatever is going to assuage the pain in their heart where you are concerned. You are there to give, not to ask for a moment to give them a lecture or give them a speech or tell them what God is doing in your life. They don't need to know. What they need to know is that you're there to say you're sorry, that you truly are sorry that you did something terribly wrong and you're there to ask them not to forgive you, but to ask them, how can I make it right? How can I make amends to you? What can I do? Is there anything I can do to make it right? Because I am so sorry. What I did was so wrong. With that, I I asked you to pass. Thank you, Sally. Anyone else? like to comment on this paragraph. Good morning. This is Bella. Can I share? Yes. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you very much, Leah, for leading this meeting, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. Um, I really like this paragraph, and a sentence that is very empowering me is to be of maximum service to God. And for me, the key word is honesty. And till now, all the steps just brought me to be honest with myself, honest with God. And to build this honesty, I had, first of all, to accept that God is the power of my life. Then I had had to be honest with, with myself. And this is when I did the inventory and I spoke about my resentments and my my character defect and I was talking and talking and writing and discussing all about my feelings and emotions. Now the honest was built. I am honest with myself, I am honest with God. Now I, I am in the in the level in the situation that I have to do it to to, to do the honest, and I have to do the amends to people. 
Now, when I am doing the amends to people, I don't need to talk. I don't need to explain them why I did this wrong. I don't need their approval. This that I needed the approval, it was in the past, when I was all the time blamed and judged. No more. Now I am honest with myself and I am honest with God. I know why I did wrong and I know that I have I, and that I have to change. Now I have to show it, to show it in action, to do it, not to talk. The talking will not help, not me and not them. I have to show that I am honest. I don't need to explain. I don't need their approval. I just need to be honest. And to be honest is to do the amends. And when I am in maximum service to God, I get the maximum strength from God. And even though sometimes it's, it's hard just to go and to do the amends, when I am at maximum service to God, if I will give the maximum of myself, I will get back the maximum strength to do this amends. I don't need the approval. I want and I need to be honest with myself and with God. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you so much, Bella. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Obviously, we're talking about step nine here. Um, it says probably there are still some misgivings as we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends. We have hurt, we may feel diffident, which means shy or reserved, reluctant, about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. Uh, let us be reassured. Uh, to some people, we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. Uh, the big book, these steps, you know, were written in a particular order. <laughs> um, we've been working hard, obviously. Our first action step was step four. We're at step nine now. Uh, now we're being let out of the house, so to speak, to interact with other people um, because Hopefully, the steps have allowed some harmony to come in uh, to our lives. You know, steps one, two, and three allowed for some harmony, some proper alignment with a higher power. Uh, steps four through seven um, allow for proper alignment in our minds, with our minds, uh, the thing, the matter between our ears. And and steps eight and nine now. Uh, we're seeking harmony with with others, seeking harmony with other people. And this is, you know, uh, it's understandable the big book says that we may feel a little diffident, a little reserved about this. Uh, you know, definitely the steps, and specifically, especially steps eight and nine, you know, are a process of growing up, a process of maturation, taking responsibility for my actions. And this is very, very important. I mean, the big book uh, now will spend eight pages teaching the underlying principles and the proper attitudes in uh, implementing Step 9. That's how important it is, and it will give examples about it. Um, it says at the moment we are trying to put our lives in order. You know, we're not ashamed while doing the ninth step. This is not an exercise in beating oneself up. Um, making amends 
in, in a spiritual sense, is a very dignified process, very dignified process. I'm, I'm going to go to those who I've harmed. I'm going to acknowledge the harm specifically. I'm going to take responsibility for my part. I'm not going to discuss their contribution to the event at all whatsoever, and I'm going to clean it up. I'm going to repair the damage as best I can. Why? Well, it's the whole point of all the steps. The purpose of the steps is deflation of the ego so that there is room for God. <laughs> if, if I still have underlying conflict and resentment and anger and spiritual sludge, there's no room for God to fit in. And, of course, let's remember, freedom isn't free. You know, if I rebel and delay at this step, uh, it may be fatal. It's dangerous. You know, so it is going to take some courage. It is going to take some courage. But, you know, I was always reminded, take your higher power in with you. You know, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be a maximum service to God and the people about us. Our real point here one of the principles for these amends is to be of maximum service to God, to to be able to uh, align ourselves and demonstrate his will in our lives, not our own self-will run riot. That last statement, he is going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than our talk of spiritual discoveries. My husband and I, we laugh about this all the time. You know, uh, people in the rooms... Um, you know, can can talk all day long, you know, about these principles and 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 you know the steps and uh, you know all the the text and 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 quoting different pages. The bottom line is, how are we living it? You know, how are we living it? Someone like my husband, he does not have to spend hours and hours out of his day in order to go out and be an honest man in order to be a courageous uh, citizen, in order to have integrity in business, in order to persevere during the, the uh, trials and tribulations of being a father of a large family and providing for that family. He doesn't have to do that work. He lives it. Uh, but people like you and I, we have to set the stage. Yes, there is time spent on these recovery matters but then the bottom line is am i living it am i laying down these principles in every facet of my life and am i demonstrating goodwill instead of just talking the talk am i living it am i displaying these principles am i being the best living example of this big book that i can be it's a hard question to ask but that is what we're up against here. <laughs> That's what we're up against. Because why? Well, because my life is on the line. My life is on the line. We have to work this program as if our life depends upon it. Because it does. And that includes step nine. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? I'm going to take that as a no, and let's move on to the next paragraph with Michelle, please. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision, for you. This is Michelle H. in Missouri, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Thank you, God. And so we continue. 
We don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. When it will serve any good purpose, we are willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. The question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. It may be he has done us more harm than we have done him, and though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we are still not too keen about admitting our faults. Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. It is harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. So we're continuing on in the process of making our amends in step nine. And um, again, like it's already been said, we don't, we don't use the excuse um, of shying away from the subject of God. Um, as a reason not to move forward. Um, and it reminds me of, you know, page 68 when it says, we never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We never, we never, skipping down, we never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us, through us, what he can do. Again, demonstration, action. Action is the solution. And I am going to be relying on my creator. You know, in step seven, um, that's exactly what I'm asking for. I'm asking for help. Um, the very last sentence of that prayer says, "Is I'm asking God to grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. And so from here, I'm, I'm at step seven, and from here I'm going out to do eight and nine, and I'm asking for God's strength. I will need God's strength. Um, like it's already been stated, you know, I have a purpose here, and that purpose is, uh, to be of maximum service, and um, and step nine is part of that process, and um, being service to God and to others. So some questions are going to arise, and they certainly did arise for me. Um, the, the question of, you know, how do I go to the man, uh, the person that I hated? Um, you know, I, I, I can tell you that this person has done me more harm, done more harm to me, and, um, and, and isn't it enough that I just have a better attitude toward this person now? You know, I've come a ways through these steps. You know, I see my part in it. You know, I see that I'm spiritually sick and this person's spiritually sick, so I, I have a better attitude towards him or her. Isn't that enough? Um, and, it, you know, and it says, you know, isn't that enough? Do I, you know, because I'm still not too keen about admitting my faults. I'm still not too keen about making that direct amends. Um, but then there's that the word that follows, nevertheless. It's sort of like a but or a yet or still yet. Nevertheless, um, that may be true for you, Michelle, but with the person we dislike, we're going to take the bit in our teeth. Um, we're going to, you know, ask for God's strength and courage, and we're going to have that determination, take the bit in my teeth. And it says it's harder to go to an enemy than to a friend. And then, isn't it strange, it says, but we find it much more beneficial to us and I was thinking about that and thinking about my experience. Um, why is it harder to go to an enemy to, than to a friend? And isn't it interesting that the, you know, the previous paragraph was about going to our business acquaintances and our friends. We have hurt. And then we're going to approach, now, what, what about this person? What about this person? You know, um, do, I, do I have to do this? This person's done me more harm. I can see I've built up a case um, of how this person's done me more harm. 
and why is it why is it harder to go to an enemy? Well, you know, my experience is when I've gone to my friends and to make amends, they they want to do what I have done most of my life and and help give me a rationalization or a justification. Um, oh, it was you know we know it was because of this or that, Michelle. We we know you didn't you know no you don't have to. And those are some of the things that I was met with, and and I needed to say no. You know, um, I don't. I don't use excuses anymore. This was inappropriate. I did cause you harm, and I want to make amends for that today. Um, and so when I go to an enemy, they're not going to um, help me with justifications um, like I've always done. And it may be harder, but it's going to be more beneficial to me. I see that was my experience. And the other experience was when I did do this, when I did um, – find God's strength and courage to do this and make this amend to someone in my life who I had built a case, an evidence of look at all the harms they've done me. I, I've gathered witnesses to build this case, to corroborate, you know, look at look at the harm this person has done. Yeah, yeah, we see it, Michelle. Let me build that case with you. Um, you know, when I when I was able to let go of that and see my part in it, it was much more beneficial and transforming to me but I needed to go in a helpful and forgiving spirit. You know, my sponsor guided me, Michelle, as long as you still have anger in your heart, as, as long as you are, do not have love in your heart, you are not ready to make that direct amends until you're ready to see your part in it and express your regret. Um, and, it, and it did take me some time to do that, but it was very, very beneficial. So they know that these questions are going to arise. They arose for me, and... Um, I I um I thought first, you know, well, my sponsor just doesn't understand. If I could just explain this to her a little bit better, she'd see why this person has done me more harm. And that really, I, I you know, um, is there, I've got a better attitude towards her. Um, look what all I'm, look at the living amends I'm making. Uh, no, Michelle, no, you need to make the direct amends. That's what the big book um, tells us to do, and it is much more beneficial. And with that, my heart was open. And God could come in, and God could show me. Um, I could hear God telling me what the purpose in my life was, how I could be of more service to others and to him. As long as that, that hurt with that enemy, and I saw it that way, uh, there was not room in my heart. I was blocking God out. So when we have those questions, here's some more direction. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Would anyone like to comment on what was read? This is Kim. This is Sally. Kim and then Sally. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. We are willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. You know, I just want to share some caution as to what happens when you don't do this work. You know, when I came in and I used OA as a buffet, and I just kind of picked and chose what steps to do, and I didn't follow the specific directions. I didn't do steps one through eight before doing a step nine. So what I would do is I would go up to someone and say, you know what, I'm in a 12-step program now. I found God. And even though you're a jerk, and I know you're a jerk. And, of course, let me list the reasons that you are a jerk. I am instructed to forgive you for being a jerk. 
know, that was the way I made an amends. So was I using tact and common sense? Was I going with a helpful and forgiving spirit? No. That is why this work is so important. It says confessing our former ill-feeling. Well, if we still have those ill-feelings, we are not ready. Just expressing our regret. If we don't have regret, if we still want to punish these people, if we still feel they did more wrong than we did and we have nothing, nothing that we're going to apologize for, then we're not ready. That's why it's so essential when we come into into these events that we've done the work. We are not here giving the amends in anger, in rancor. We're giving the amends because we have done four. We've looked at those four columns. We see where we, where we have been selfish. We have been dishonest. We have been resentful. We have been fearful. We have been inconsiderate. And by looking at someone else, we realize how we got the ball rolling. And by admitting those defects and turning over to God, we have become willing to make right our wrongs, regardless of what other people did. And Michelle brought up that living amends, which I think is so essential. I misuse it. I use living amends as a weapon. First of all, I don't even think they use the word living amends in the book. Living amends to me, before doing this work, meant there's no way in the world I'm confessing what I did, so I'm just going to try to treat them decently, and I'm not going to take responsibility. The fact is, every amend is a living amends because if we're going to make amends, we are saying we are sorry for what we have done and we are not going to do it again. And what was my pattern prior to this? I would apologize and then I would do it again. I would apologize and I would do it again. So every amend is a living amend because we're now saying that we are not going to be those people. We are going to be the people that God intended us to be. But that does not absolve us from making right the wrong. I use the living amends as a weapon. I use step nine as a weapon to tell people how they hurt me. So what is the big book telling us? And I'll read it one more time. That we are willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. That we go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit confessing our former ill feeling, and expressing our regret. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Sally, go ahead. Thank you, Leah. Still Sally recovered in South Jersey. I'd like to share on this sentence the question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. It may be he has done us more harm than we have done him. And though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we are still not too keen about admitting our faults. Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. This is very powerful to me. First of all, it reminds me of something that was shared a few Sundays ago by someone who talked about the fact that we are so concerned that we won't get justice. We close our fists around our resentments and our hurts because we're so worried we won't get justice. I remember as a child the the idea of it's not fair, it's not fair. I was a middle child among seven kids. Nothing was fair for a middle kid in the middle of seven other in the middle of seven people. And when I look at this, it reminds me of 
this this mantra that had run through my mind for so many years. Is this really fair? I'm going to go and say I'm sorry for the little thing I did. And look what they did. And then are they going to think that I've absolved them? And you know what the thing is? We are. We are absolving them. We are no longer holding them responsible for all that they did on their side of the street because it's none of my business. So I am absolving them and I am taking responsibility for my side of the street. And here is the key. I really think this is the key to me being able to do this. It says we take the bit in our teeth. And I'm reminded of a conversation I had a few days ago with a friend who was telling me that she couldn't keep her horse because her horse was bucking her and trying to get her off. And this friend was literally only 100 pounds, a tiny woman, and the horse would not would not tolerate this tiny person riding her. And I, you know, and I thought to myself, wow, that's like one finicky horse that won't let you ride it. I mean, here you are only 100 pounds. And she said to me these words, she said it was the bit in its mouth. That's what it was, Sally. It wasn't my weight. It was that she didn't want the bit in her mouth. That's why she was bucking. And when I see these words, we take the bit in our teeth. I'm reminded that I am allowing, here again, my willingness comes to the front. I am allowing my higher power, my God, to put the bit into my mouth and to steer my actions, my words. And it goes on to say, it is harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to who? To them? No. To me. To me, I'm doing it for me because I want to get well. This is my medicine, as I've said so many times, the book Likens Our Disease to Cancer on page 18. I've seen how painful the medicine for cancer patients, how how painful that can be. I've worked on a cancer ward, so I've seen it myself. And I can only say this, you you will go through whatever pain you have to go through to get well. And this may be a painful point to go to the person that you really can't stand, that really did so many things to you, and yet you know down deep there's a, there are a few things you can take responsibility for. Well, we have to look at this as our medicine. This is so we can get well. This is so I can get well, and I want to get well. With that, I passed. Thank you, Sally. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Rose? Do. Go ahead. Do. Rose and then do. Thanks, Leah. This is Rose, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. Um, I really want to share my own experience uh, recently with this paragraph um, because uh, of really what took place, the uh, the incredible situation that took place. Um, I want to go back to the sentence, the question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. And my own experience with that, as well as I'll relate it to the rest of the paragraph, um, the person I had hated for over 35 years was my father-in-law. And the end of August, just this year, um, was when my sponsor felt I was ready to make an amend to him 
for all of those years. And this was a man that I had nurtured from the time I met him through till pretty much uh, until the past couple of years. There was a very open hostility and hatred towards him based on an original attitude I developed towards him that came from my husband uh, and it came from a lot of different places. But essentially it just came from me and my ego, superiority, arrogance, disrespect, insensitiveness to other people. So um, when it came to do this amend with him, and especially this was definitely a situation where um, there was no no nonsense involved with telling him it about either religious or spiritual or any type of basis. It was totally coming from the basis that I had, <clears throat> excuse me, done him a wrong in treating him ex- very disrespectfully, inappropriately, insensitive to his needs. And it was a huge situation around my husband's death and funeral that I was um, very uh, below human in the way I acted towards my father-in-law and, and my whole, all of my husband's family that I was at fault for. And when this moment came just a few weeks ago, um, it was really what was said earlier if I hadn't had steps one through eight uh, in me in a very solid way, I would not have been able to carry forth the level of sincerity and honestness that was needed. And in the act of doing it, looking into his eyes and saying I acted wrongly and all the other things I already mentioned, he looked back at me. I expected to be have the riot act read to me, and I would have deserved it due to my behavior, and I was prepared to accept it because I had already looked at my behavior in my fourth, told it in my fifth step, so the the dirty details were already exposed for me, and I was willing to make this wrong righted in God's eyes and with this man who was a good human being. And he just looked back at me with a kindness in his eyes that I had never seen there all those 35 years and he acknowledged everything I said and agreed with every all my behavior, and he wasn't mean whatsoever. And then a very unexpected thing took place was he looked at me and said, you didn't know any better. And I looked back and said, yes, this is true, but I'm still accountable. And he said, yes, you are. Without any condemnation, it was a moment that lifted me out of those 35-plus years of my own behavior and also freed him from um, whatever the wrong I had done. Uh, I really felt God took it away. And and also I, I so agree that all of this work, um, so the hatred that I had, um, it had nothing to do with him in actuality. He didn't deserve it. Um, hatred was a, my... my uh, character defect, and that in the course of doing the amend sincerely from the heart with God's help when it's the right time, um, it it heals these wounds that um, exist, and no matter how the amend is received, as it says, it doesn't make any difference, 
but I really wanted to share a particular one that happened so recently with such results that, again, the alteration in my own life and, of course, my relationship with him has changed enough where he's invited me and my family back for Thanksgiving and putting us up in a motel and things like that. Quite awesome results that I'm not even looking for. But with that, I'd like to pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. And Du, you'll be the last share for the morning. Go ahead. Good morning. This is Du, compulsive reader. I know it. Um, uh, Sally already shared on what I wanted to share, but I'll I'll put in my two bits in. Um, it says the question of how to approach the man we hated will rise. It may it may be he has done us more harm than we have done him, and though we may have acquired a better attitude towards him. We're still not too keen about admitting our faults. Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take a bit in our teeth. And, you know, that that really came up for me with my, my own father. And, you know, and I, it took me a very, very long time to come to the point where I can make an amends with him. And yesterday was the first time that I sat down and I, I wrote a letter to him and um, you know if if you would ask me a, a few months ago um, whether I could do this letter the way I did it um, I would have said no way you know because I, I was still bitter towards him and one of the things my sponsor helped me to see from the step work is that we're you know, on step four we're looking at our part even if it's a very 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 small part we still look at our part where we have harmed others. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, this man totally took the worldwide prize on um, being hurtful to others, you know. Um, I couldn't think of someone more uh, horrible person than him, you know, because he was an abuser of children. And, um, And I was thinking, what? What person? I mean, I I can't see any part that I played in hurting him because he basically hurt me. And my sponsor said, "Well, pray about it. You know, pray the sick man's prayer and really look at your part. Really see there's got to be something, even if it was being disrespectful or holding some affections from them or whatever." I said, "No, I don't think so." And so I prayed about it, and then I realized, I said, you know, in my early 20s, I really wanted to kill my father, and I went out with that agenda to do that to him. So in essence, I was playing God, and in essence, I was trying to bring about my own justice with my father, and I was not letting God uh, tune in and and be the sovereign of all, all things and letting him take care of the justice, letting him take care of the outcomes. And sure enough, as I was praying and I was looking at those things, I started realizing that I had done harm to my father, that that I did not set boundaries, that I did not do a lot of things that were not only hurtful to him, but hurtful to myself in return. And it reminds me of what page 66 says, that, it is plain that life, which includes deep resentment, leads only to futility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that we might have been worthwhile. 
And that was so true for me. You know, I squander so many hours thinking about this, uh, marinating over these experiences that I couldn't get on with my life. You know, I could not do, I could not be useful to others. And it says, if we were to live free, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be dubious luxury for normal men, but for alcoholic or compulsive overeaters, these things are poison. And then I realized again that I had to let go. I had to let go of these resentments if I was to live free. You know, if I was to live free and have that connection with God and, you know, and really bring God into my life and really see what God's purpose was, not only for me, but for my father, for my father. You know, because as long as we're alive, God is not done with us. You know, God can alter and change people, places, and things. You know, and going through this process of these amends, I have seen that. I have seen how God can take someone that has been so harmful to others and change them. You know, and and again, this is not about the other person. This is about me and how God is changing me and how God is changing my outlook and my perception towards these people that do harms and that um, do these things. And, and changing me as a person because just like my father did harms to me, I did harms to him and did harms to other people because of that. And so, you know, I'm not a saint. <laughs> I'm not a saint and I have, to, I have to continue to do these steps so that I can have that spiritual awakening, that spiritual experience, get closer to God, have that personality change so that today I can be useful to others, come to them in a helpful and forgiving spirit, you know, confront um, confessing my former ills and feelings and expressing the regret for it. Um, why is that? Because as long as I keep that, it's a poison to me. As long as I keep that regret, as, as long as I keep those former ills and feelings, I'm blocking myself from getting connected to God. And God is so much bigger, so much bigger than I ever thought, that he could take some people, like my father, some people like my cousin, some people like my mom, and totally change them. But it doesn't come from me or my expectations of what I want to get from those amends. It comes from God. And I have to turn it over to God and let God be in control, let God be in charge, and let God take care of the results. I just do my part. That's all I'm doing in these steps, doing my part and seeing how God is going to free me. So with that, I pass Thank you, Do, and thank you to everyone who shared this morning. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Sally, would you please read a vision for you? Right here, Leah. Page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. 
see to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand him. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in, a, in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>